0: Thank you for joining us today for the Church of the Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. Yeah, my name is Russ, and I like how Joel Purdy said it the other week. He's like, I'm a friend of Church of the Rock Calgary. Can I say that too? My name is Russ, and I'm a longtime friend of Church of the Rock Calgary, also a son of Church of the Rock Calgary, (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, um, but they, my parents, I always make the joke that my, my parents ask me to speak so they can enjoy not hearing me. But I actually now take it as like a, a blessing and an honor that they trust me to, to be able to not totally mess it up on a Sunday of speaking. I do actually cherish whenever I get to talk to you guys. And it's a lot of fun. This is not a theater. That's awesome. Um, nothing against the theater. It's just nice after eight years to have a change. And uh, as Dwayne said, you know, my, my mom and dad, so Pastor Ian and Val, if you're new to the whole equation, uh, they just got a, a point, my dad just got uh, set in as the director of LifeLinks International. That's a big deal, um, just in October here. And basically he now helps oversee and direct everything about LifeLinks. And LifeLinks isn't just Canada-wide, this is international, this is Africa, this is India, um, this is South America, this is the United States, this is Canada. This crazy. So he's now today uh, working with the church called The Well. They actually don't have a pastor right now, just for perspective. Uh, and uh, they were asked to just come down and support and speak this morning. So he's already filling holes. So just know that we're a part of that too, right? Church of the Rock Calgary has a stake in being able to reach out to lifelinks. So I think of it like when I get to speak or when you guys get to do set up and tear down, when we get to come together and Pastor Ian and Val aren't here, we are participating in something bigger, Does that make sense? And uh, pray for my mom. She's already done now. But the worship pastor had laryngitis. Got laryngitis yesterday. So guess who's leading worship this morning without any practice? And she got there at ten, by the way, not nine thirty for worship practice. So just some prayers, just some perspective. Um, Let's bring up the first title card. This is the the series we are doing right now, the gift exchange. And if you notice the quality of this this slideshow coming up here. Man, it looks so different from my dad's from last week. It's not at all because I copy and pasted everything last night at all, okay? It's called The Gift Exchange. It's a series right now that we're doing, obviously, for the Christmas season. We can tie it in. and Basically, the whole premise is there are gifts that life gives us that are sometimes wanted and sometimes really unwanted. And my dad talked about a gift exchange he was doing with his youth group years ago when he was a youth pastor in Tabor. And there was this really big box, right? This really highly coveted present. And it was unknown. And everyone else was switching with each other. Actually, we just did a gift exchange for my company, uh, Christmas uh, dinner. It was crazy. There was no hold freeze chain exchange limit, Chris. That was a dangerous game that you played. But anyways, you could play it forever. But anyways, this, this exchange game... My dad, everyone was exchanging gifts, and there was tons of presents, and there was this really big one still on the table. And my dad's turn finally came up, and he's like, you know what? I like big presents. This looks like a gooder. So what does he do? He grabs this big present, he opens it up, and it's this ratty old pair of gray snow gloves. And he just, it was such a disappointment. And so dad used that story last week to kind of articulate how sometimes life will give us gifts that we don't want. Or we think they're gonna benefit us, but they're actually really harmful. And God wants to exchange that gift. God always has an answer for the bad gifts that the world gives us, amen? Can you, can you, can you look to someone to your right and your left and be like, God gives better gifts than you or me? Right. No, okay, that's fine. We tried an experiment, it's cool. People are like, mm-hmm, I have no one sitting beside me, Rest. Well, hey, get creative. So my dad talked last week about three things. He, his topic last week was weariness, for renewed energy or for renewed hope was last week. And he talked about our carrying, so God wants us to exchange our carrying for his carrying, our carrying our own burdens, trying to deal with life's problems on our own, exchange it for Jesus's burden, which is lighter than ours. Let God help us carry it, right? And then our covering for his covering. He talked about Adam and Eve and how they tried to cover up their sin. They tried to cover up the way that they presented themselves before God. And we as humanity try to cover ourselves up, but God says no. Come before me with my covering. I've given you a covering. And we're gonna get more into that as well. But of course, that covering is Jesus. And then finally, our counting our sins for his not counting our transgressions and sins against us. So my dad, that was the first message. And if you haven't heard it, it was really good. You can go to our website. Uh, I think it's cotrcalgary.ca. I'm hoping that's the, the website. I've been there a few times. And you can go to messages and you can download it. But it was really good. But this week, we are talking about forgiveness, uh, or sorry, bitterness for forgiveness. So yes, I'm talking about bitterness this morning. And you know what, who here, and let's be, this is a real moment of honesty, okay? Who here is watching a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies already? Oh, wow. Didn't even hesitate. There's no shame. They're just, they're just like, yeah, we're all on board. My wife, okay, quick rant session. This is not in my notes. This is not in my notes. Paula set up Christmas the day after Remembrance Day. Okay, the reason why you hear high-pitched noises right now is her mom's group was way ahead of her and encouraged that to happen. Not okay with this. I am a traditionalist. After American Thanksgiving, go nuts. December 1st, you can play Christmas music. No, November 15th, my tree's up, all these lights are going. She made me put up Christmas lights the beginning of November. Well, I hold up a lot of bitterness myself, don't I? Wow. Why do I mention the Hallmark Christmas movies? I actually had to ask my wife. I'm like, hey, is it the same format? She's like, he meets she or she meets he long lost love or an acquaintance and they work it out in the end and it's a love story? I said, yeah, is it the same? She's like, all of them, all of them are the same, but they're all so different. (laughs) They're not, okay? I actually watched one yesterday, be proud of me. Why do I mention the Hallmark movies? Because it's a cliche story. So-and-so leaves her small-time town for the big city. She has broken relationships, and there's some messed up, complicated relations going on. And then she gets it big time, but then her Christmas roots bring her back to small town and she has to work it out with her family. And then she meets her ex-boyfriend. That was literally yesterday's plot. Meets her ex-boyfriend. They're both holding a lot of bitterness, but they make do and then they kiss at the end and Merry Christmas. You know, that is literally the formula. They're geniuses. Hallmark is a genius company, man. They just cornered that market. It's cliche, though. We see it all the time. So it's easy. What I'm trying to say with that example is it's easy to write off bitterness. It's easy because you just think, oh, well, that's he and she, or she and he, or she and she. They don't get along anymore. You know, they had a falling out as siblings growing up. And you watch it in Christmas movies. You're like, oh yeah, they don't talk anymore. And you just think, that's a plot point. That's important. I'm writing that down. That's gonna happen later in the movie. Someone's gonna get better. Bitterness. We write it off. It happens so much in movies nowadays where you're just like, yeah, it happens. People don't get along anymore. So we're just gonna move on or make it work. I don't think that's the best situation. I actually don't think that's the way that God talks about it. So here's, here's the point of this message today. The title's already there. You already know what's gonna happen. But I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna prove the bitterness, the dangers of bitterness, and I wanna give you a warning. Why? Are all of you aware of what bitterness means? Absolutely, you are. We are all smart in here, okay? We all understand what the word bitterness means. But sometimes it flows to the background because other things that are more important come to the surface, and we forget about it. So I'm gonna reevaluate. I'm gonna kind of refresh all of our memories of what the power of bitterness is And then I'm gonna explain the answer. And if you've already written off this sermon, I I think you just gotta hang on with me because it's gonna be a gooder. So that's my goal, okay? So let's go. You guys know me by now. I've preached enough times where you know that I love to get super literal occasion. I mean, let's go to the Greek. Why is that? Because again, the Bible is a common sense book. A lot of people think, well, the Bible's just too wordy or it's too complicated. You know what? If you break it down and read line by line and try your darndest to, to try to actually take it seriously, it can be understood. Greek and Hebrew actually have meanings that are even more common sense than English sometimes. So we look at the word bitter, which literally means pikria in Greek, and that means harshness or resentful. Well, yeah, no duh, Russ. No, seriously, okay? This is common sense stuff. I'm not going over anyone's head. Harshness or resentful is bitterness, Picria, though Strong's Concordance, which is a resource that elaborates on the Bible, Strong's nails it, I think. This is what they say. A bitter root and so producing bitter fruit. A bitter root and so producing bitter fruit. I think that's better. Not bitter, better. I think that that's amazing and that really spoke to me here because that's the power of bitterness, really. And again, that's why I wanna harp on this for a little bit at the beginning because Again, bitterness is just an emotion after a while. It becomes part of our subconscious. And I love how Strong says, well, that's because it's a root. Bitterness digs itself inside you. It burrows inside. And all of a sudden, your life starts being affected by it. What do I mean? I mean a small offense by someone. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic. My wife, scary woman. (laughs) You know, I don't think we give husbands sometimes enough credit sometimes when they hold on to the handle and their wife's trying, I got this, honey, and then they're yelling in traffic. That's my wife, okay? She's not here this morning. I can say whatever I want. But bitterness digs down inside of you, and it gives you harshness or resentful thoughts towards others. Picria. And Strong's nails it with the fruit. And so the Bible touches on this, and this is where we're gonna camp for a moment, but the Bible touches on the power of bitterness. Again, this is, a, this is just prepping you for the warning here. Proverbs seventeen nine says this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. I'm gonna read it again. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Barnes notes, again, just like Strong's Concordance, Barnes notes, uh, elaborates on Bible verses, and this is just the same as, as Strong's. He just nails this description. He breaks it down for us, and bear with me here. It's the King James Version, so seeketh and thoueth are in these explanations here now provided by Barnes. We're gonna go there. Seeketh love. This is the first part of Proverbs uh, seventeen nine. Seeketh love. The person, you're talking about the individual in this proverb, takes the course which leads to his gaining it. So you're actually seeking to cover someone who's offended you. You're saying, no, 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 I'm seeking it out. I'm gonna, don't worry about it. I'm actually gonna go after you and say, you know what, this hurt me, but I'm gonna gonna cover over that. And Barnes' note says, he takes the course which leads to his gaining it. Here's the key part though. He that repeateth, repeateth a matter, The warning is directed against that which leads a man, here we go, to dwell with irritating iteration on a past offense instead of burying it into oblivion. I love that. I love it. He that repeateth a matter, the warning is directed against that which leads a man to dwell with irritating iteration. I'm dwelling on it. It's staying in my mind. I'm not letting it go. What should you do instead? You should bury that bad boy into oblivion. Not bury it negatively, deal with it and kick it into oblivion. Here's the final part. This is the clincher right here. Separateth very friends. Again, King James Version, okay, bear with me. I didn't write this. This is Barnes. Better alienateth his chief friend. This isn't just some stranger in the street or this car that cut you off in traffic. This is talking about an intimate relationship. This is someone close to you. Maybe you encounter on a day-to-day basis that's hurt you. And here we go. Watch this. The talebearer works injury to himself. What does he mean by that? Bitterness is a story. Look at it. okay, we're gonna try again here. You ready? I don't care if you're not sitting with anyone. Look behind you or in front if you have to. Turn to your neighbor and say, bitterness is a story. And one more time, say, I'm a bad storyteller. I'm a bad storyteller. Bitterness is a story. Why do I say that? Because if my younger brother does something mean, I was gonna use harsher words, I'm being really good this morning. If my younger brother did something mean and I stew on it, I will tell myself a story. Lyndon, you know, doesn't respect me. Let's just use that one. Lyndon doesn't respect me. Guess what happens? I will keep repeating that story even after I think the event is over. So now weeks have gone by And guess what happens? I haven't dealt, I haven't sought to cover that offense. That story's gonna keep repeating in my mind. So guess what happens next time I interact with Lyndon? Even if I forgot the event that happened, guess what's still in my mind? My story. So now Lyndon doesn't respect me, no matter what Lyndon does. Lyndon could even be like, hey, what's up, Russ? Gives me a big hug talking. If he says anything, even remotely close to disrespectful, guess what's gonna happen? My story is gonna come true and I'm gonna start acting on that story. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Why do you say it like that? That bitter root has now started to produce irreversible bitter fruit. It's a story. You can just think about this as a mental note inside your mind here. This is what we've told ourselves. What about these scenarios? My family member, you know, my father, mother, daughter, whatever, my family member is jealous of my success. That could be a lie. That could be a story. My boss never appreciates my hard work. That's a story. I never get any lucky breaks in life. I myself have said this story. And notice it's not against any particular person in that case. It could be towards life. You could be bitter towards life. I never have enough money. That's a story. That friend always lets me down. That's a story. Finally, this is my story. I'm going to get into this in a moment. I'm not as loved. I'm not loved as much as the others. That's my story. You see, I'm going to tell you a story here really quickly. My dad and I. We've we've alluded to it both of us actually in, in, in numerous different messages over time. Uh, and I, I believe I did clarify. Maybe I didn't. I am the second of four boys, uh, second son of. Pastor Ian and Val, okay? So sorry if I didn't clear that up. I'm, I'm their son. We've talked about it. We always allude to it, right? My, mom, my dad and I have had a rough history, but let me just give, fill you in on our story, okay? Uh, I am a daddy's boy, hardcore. I grew up idolizing my father. My dad taught me to hate certain sports teams. I'm not gonna name them because friends of mine, I respect. The church is a respectful institution. Uh, he taught me to yell at the TV screen um, I, have photos, I have photos of me laying on his chest as a, as a little boy, four years old. He was taking a nap and I'm laying on top and we're watching TV together. Um, my dad taught me a lot of great things and I sought nothing more than to please my father, okay? And as all of us are, he's an imperfect man and he, life gets stressful. So what happened with my dad? He was working, he's a businessman in Tabor, Alberta, and he's a youth pastor, not paid. He's a volunteer youth pastor. Life is busy. I'm a little kid. I love Tabor. I love small town cities and towns. It's true. And I love our life. All of a sudden, my dad gives a, sits us all down in our house in Tabor and says, boys, we're moving to Medicine Hat. Why? <laughs> that was me. Why? <laughs> what's, what's Medicine Hat? Oh, it's a church there. And I've been asked to come pastor it. They're in trouble. And... Remember, you guys have heard my dad's story. He's been waiting for this moment his entire life. He's been digging it out in Tabor, fighting his battles, and God finally says, your time, Ian. Let's get you all suited up. You're equipped now. Come to to Medicine Hat. So we moved to Medicine Hat, and it's very stressful, you guys. It was a broken church. It was dying. The pastor was still there in the church as my dad was trying to take over, make it healthy again. And, of course, my dad is a young, new pastor. First time. He's not a veteran walking in being like, I've seen this before. So this starts to affect us boys in medicine. My dad is, I would say the word's distant. I think that's cliche. Distracted is probably more accurate. And I just wanted nothing more than to share with my dad how my day went and to please him. So often at supper times, what do you do? If you're sitting around the dinner table like our family was, you know, you try to share stories with your dad. Dad, I did this in school or I played soccer today. I scored a goal. My dad, I love my father. And I actually share some of his worst and best traits. Funny how that works, hey? What happens to us bird boys, some of us, maybe not all of us, we will fixate on an issue hoping that it gets resolved quicker if we don't stop thinking about it no matter what. And during my dad's first few years in church, what do you think he fixated on? Everything. Well, this person's had this problem with this person. This person's angry at me now. I have to deal with these politics in this church. It overwhelmed him. Of course, I don't see that. I'm a 12-year-old boy. And so it started with a small story. Dad doesn't care was the first story, okay? And we'd be talking at the dinner table and he'd have this distant look or he'd snap his stuff out of it, say, sorry. Oh yeah, really? Is that right? Like, you know, husbands, (laughs) your wife is saying something and you'll be like, oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah? Are you listening? Then you're deer in the head like, oh yes. Well, what did I say? Worst words in the world to be uttered by my wife. She catches me now. She knows. She knows. It's not even a look anymore. She can tell by the tone of my voice. Oh, yeah, for sure. Really, Russell? What did I say? Done. I'm dead. I'm dead. But in this case, this was my father, and you could tell. So it started over and over again. So guess what now? Also, I I forgot to mention, I'm angry that uh, I, I, we moved to Medicine Hat. All of my close friends were in Tabor, so I actually hated my dad's decision to choose Medicine Hat over Tabor because I'm an immature young 12-year-old. <laughs> so these stories continue to mount. He misses some sports events. That's huge to me. I was a playoff goaltender in my soccer team. We were having great success. Mom was always there. Dad was not. But again, I kept telling the same story. What was that story? Dad doesn't care. He didn't do anything against me. And you're gonna notice that really quick. I'm gonna pause for a moment. Bitterness, you'll notice some of the biggest, deepest hurts in our lives are not catastrophic events, are they? They're not so-and-so betrayed me and the line has been drawn in the sand. We are at odds. (laughs) It's not that, actually. It's oftentimes an impression. Someone rubs you the wrong way, says something a little bit off that you're not sure how to interpret. But guess what? Instead of going to them and saying, hey, I need to cover this offense. Hey, did, did you mean that? What do we do? We become our own authors and say, he must've meant this, but then we stow it. And then what happens, like I said, with the linen example, that story keeps popping up. And guess what you do though to that story? Does it stay this size? You write more of the same story and you start packing it together. Some of the deepest wounds are not one huge incident. It's one incremental little story repeated hundreds of thousands of times. So I told my, myself this story. So guess what now? I'm in my teens. I don't care what my dad has to say. And my dad is unaware, by the way. My dad has no idea. But then my dad finally clues in that something's wrong. Russell doesn't want to hang out with me. Russell's easily agitated against me. I was. And it got to the point, guys, where I wanted to hurt my father. Not physically. I wanted to emotionally punish my dad. Notice, what did he do? Did he do anything wrong? Like, so to speak, did he do anything that was egregious? No, no. Just little impressions at the dinner table over and, over and over and over and over and over again. And suddenly now when dad would be like, hey, Russ, how's your day? It was fine, going down to my room. Hey, Russell, you wanna to go to a movie with me tonight? My dad, credit to him, he's a great guy. He would try to have son-father dates. That's my dad, he's trying. He knows he's distracted, he knows this. He's not unaware, he has my mom. He's reminded he's distracted, okay? He's trying his best. Guess what happens? He's trying to now make an effort, but that's when he starts to sense something's really wrong. Russ, do you wanna go on a a movie or we could watch a sporting event? No, thanks, not interested. No, all right, keep canceling. I literally did this all through high school. I avoided the heck out of my father. I didn't wanna hear anything he had to say. If he even said the nicest thing to me, I would twist that and be like, what did you mean by that? Is this not good enough all of a sudden? Why is that? My own story is repeating itself over and over again in my head. So now I have a conundrum because I'm an 18-year-old bitter dude with a strong long-term relationship with with my girlfriend that would eventually be my wife. You think I'm gonna not bring that issue into my marriage? 100% I am. So where does the story end? Well, let's take a break in that story really quick because we're gonna go to the Bible because thankfully the Bible has the answer for that because I think my story is your story with different people in different scenarios. Maybe not as severe. Maybe worse, right? I think all of us have had people do something wrong to us. So we're gonna go to Matthew 18. If you are a Bible person this morning, no problem, bring open your phone, break open your Bible. Matthew 18 is where we're gonna go. And we're gonna jump to verse 21. But before you get there, just, just keep your finger on that page. Let me give you some context. Jesus is already really popular at this time. He's got all his disciples with him. Theologians say, and historians speculate that Jesus literally taught the same sermons over and over and over and over and over again, okay? Some of this is revolutionary because the authors of these books, the Gospels, the four Gospels, just write it once because they know that if they repeated everything Jesus said, it might be the most boring, repetitive book ever. But they're like, these are amazing teachings. We're gonna repeat it once for your benefit, okay? So what's my point? The disciples have heard Jesus speak like tons, They could probably preach it in their sleep because they've heard Jesus say the exact same words over and over again. But something is different this time about this particular preaching in chapter 18. So Jesus actually starts to make his way through some of these key points. He's teaching to our particular crowd in the book of Matthew 18. So first off, someone comes up to him and said, the disciples come up to him and say, who among us is the greatest? Who can be the greatest? Jesus says, "Uh, get a little child. Come here, put him on my lap. Unless you come to me like a child, You'll never enter the kingdom of God. Okay. Right, Peter, write that down. (laughs) What does that mean? We don't know what that means. Okay. So like, okay, childlike, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Write that down. But then Jesus jumps into his standard sermon, temptation of sin. Be extreme about it. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better to live with a body without a hand in heaven than an entire body in suffering. Same with the eyeball. If it causes you to sin, pluck it out, throw it away. Yeah, we've heard that. It's getting extreme. Ooh. Looking at disciples in the background and all the people are like, whoa. Disciples in the background be like, when the eyes coming next, just watch. And you know, I've done this. My dad preaches some of the same sermons and I'm like, oh yeah. Then he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd's gonna go after the one, the 99. They're like, yeah, we've heard that story. Then something happens. Now this is speculation on my end. I could be painting a picture. Maybe this is the first time they've ever heard these messages before. But again, history suggests that this is not their first time hearing these stories. That's why I think this makes it very cool what happens next. Then Jesus talks about if your brother sins against you. If your brother wrongs you, go to him first. So again, that's the seeks to cover offense thing. I want you to pick that point up here about bitterness. It's on the attack in a good way. Go to that person and deal with it. But we'll camp there in a moment. But Peter hears this. He says, okay, if someone wrongs you, go to him. Tell him the wrongs and deal with it. If he doesn't deal with it, bring two or three elders with you, bring a little bit of a witness thing and say, hey, again, I'm trying to make good with you. Let's, let's re- like make this work. Let's fix it. Here's some witnesses. If the guy still doesn't respond to you and wanna make it better and forgive or deal with it, go before your church. Can you imagine if we did that? Now, their culture is different. Judaism and, and the, the Jewish culture, that was very much synagogues and teachings. They're very close-knit community where you could call each other out more publicly. That'd be... Be like me calling out Addison. Addison, we still haven't dealt with that problem you did to me yesterday. Get on up here. I've tried calling you out amongst other people, witnesses. I brought Chris Reimer up here and all this other stuff, but you, you're not listening. Stand up here and I'm going to tell everyone what you did and let them bear witness to it. Jesus does that because that is acceptable in that culture. Finally, he says, if your brother will not listen to that, exile. Just cut it off. Now this tweak's Peter, one of his main disciples, thought process, because this is not in Jesus's notes. Verse 21, this is what Peter says. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, after he gave that teaching, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So again, you're Jesus. You're in the flow of your sermon. You've preached this thing. And again, I'm not in Jesus's head. He knew what he needed to preach. He did only what the father told him to do. But you're preaching your message. You're on a flow. And Peter interjects, excuse me. Hey, sorry. I know you're about to jump to your next section. It's fantastic. So about that, dealing with someone who hurts you, how many times am I supposed to forgive them? I'm struggling with this. You wonder what was happening in Peter's life at that time. Was it legitimately his brother, Andrew? Was it someone in the background? Again, he's heard these teachings, but this is in Matthew's notes, meaning something different was there that day. Write this down. And Jesus looks at Peter, one of his favorite disciples. Did Jesus have favorites? He darn well did. (laughs) Pay attention to that. He loved Peter. I think he loves Peter's brashness. Just goes in, kicks the doors in, guns a-blazing when there's a new teaching. Peter's that go-getter. I think Jesus had a soft spot for Peter. He was a hard head, for sure. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other translations would say 70 times seven. I say 77 times. So there's two things about this really quickly. I don't wanna push past this too fast, but there's also two things to break down. Why did the first thing mean 77 times? Because Peter has given out a generous number. You've heard these sermons before. Peter is saying a number he thinks is quite generous. And then Jesus responds with a number that is infinitely more, showing Peter as much as possible, right? It is true. There's also a little bit more depth to it. Peter's saying, I'm getting hurt often. You've told me how we deal with offense. How many times can I let this happen? How many times can I let people hurt me? I know that you say to excommunicate and stuff, but what if it's someone close? I can't necessarily excommunicate them and I'm getting beaten alive right now. I need your help. This is different from your sermon. Seven times? Is that good? Seven times? That, that seems like a reasonable number to me. It's close to 10, not, you know, not below five. I think it's good. What is Jesus doing? He's actually quoting Genesis 4. In, in, the, in Judaic upbringings, all the kids are taught the Septuagint. They're taught the Old Testament. So Peter and Andrew, think about this, and if I'm moving too fast, let me know. But Peter and Andrew were taught the Old Testament. That was basic educational principles. Your kids were taught the Old Testament. And then Pharisees and teachers of the law would glean from the cream of the crop of the kids that seemed to have intellectual ability, intelligence, and they would then take them as their students. But those that didn't cut the grade would revert back to their mother and father's living. So Peter and Andrew, what are they? They're fishermen. What does that tell you? They didn't move past middle school, essentially. So they know the Old Testament, though, is my point. So when Jesus says 77 times, it's not just Peter. You gave me a number. I'm going to blow that out of the water as much as possible. He's hinting at something. Genesis 4, there's a guy named Lamech, who's a descendant of Cain. And this would be scripture Peter and Andrew know. Lamech said to his wives in Genesis 4, he's a descendant of Cain and Abel. Guess who killed who? Cain killed Abel, so he's the, he's the descendant, the grandson of a killer. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, those are some daughter names for you future fathers out there and mothers. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, my wives, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77-fold. And Peter knows this. So Jesus is now saying, hey, we've known our our way of law up to this point is you make do. You make your own effort and you set things right, but not in a good way. You beat them down. You destroy opposition. You hurt that individual, what I was doing to my dad. You take him out. I'm coming saying, forgiveness, Peter? You use the number seven? Huh, Checkmate. 77 times. He's not giving him a number. He's giving him an ideological change. He's saying, hey, we've been taught this, right? Old Testament, you just make do, you make revenge, you make them pay, you win. How many of us love winning? The Flames won last night. Love winning. Jesus says, it's not about winning or losing. It's about doing what I tell you to do. You said seven times, reverse that. Strike that, reverse it. I want you to do the exact opposite. You've heard Lamech say, he's gonna destroy people for hurting him. I'm gonna say you forgive them no matter what. But see, here's the benefit, and we're gonna pause on that story. We are reading the Bible, correct? We're in the 21st century. We have the benefit now of reading the rest of the chapters, don't we? Peter didn't have that. He's living live action, Matthew chapter 18. There's no opportunity for him to be like, can we write that down perfect? What did he say in chapter 16 again, Matthew? Matthew. No, okay, perfect. Well, I'll I'll revert back to that later. Peter didn't have replay on Jesus. He has to wait and see. So Jesus is giving him a bit of a teaser. Peter's like, I don't know what he's saying. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I guess that makes sense. Lamech just wants us to destroy people that hurt us. You're saying do the opposite. Forgive as intensely as Lamech was gonna do. But then Jesus doesn't stop there in chapter 18. And Peter doesn't know what Jesus is saying about fulfillment and unlimited forgiveness. But thankfully, Jesus says this story to Peter and Matthew records it. It's not on the slide, but then Jesus says 77 times, Peter, I want you to forgive. Let me tell you a story. A master and his servant, my dad preached on this recently, a master and his servant were gonna settle their accounts. And the servant owed this master, I'm gonna just translate it guys into Russell speak, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. This servant owed this master millions of dollars. And the master said, if you can't pay, send him to jail with his wife and children. Then he can pay it back in jail. And on his knees, this servant got on his knees, said, have pity on me, have mercy on me. I will pay you back, I will do my best. This is all fluff. This servant has no way of actually realistically paying back the master. But the master, it says in the Bible, having pity, having mercy, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Having mercy on this servant, he forgives the debt. You don't owe me millions of dollars anymore. You're forgiven. And then it says, and then Jesus says, right after this, this servant who has now been forgiven millions of dollars walks out, oh, feels so good. Freedom, the debt has been released from my shoulders. Whoa, my life has changed. Hey, that guy owes me 20 bucks. And he goes up to the servant now, this guy who owed him 20 bucks, and begins to choke him and says, pay me what you owe me. And the the guy now that owes 20 bucks says, have pity on me, have mercy on me, I will pay you back. What does the servant do? Throw him in jail until he's paid me back that 20 bucks that he owes me. The servants of the master after hearing this are greatly disturbed. Would you not be greatly disturbed? You were bearing witness to this guy getting off the hook for millions of dollars. And now this guy's choking out a guy for 20 bucks. They go back to their master. Master's outraged. Summons that servant and says, you wicked, evil servant. How could you not have mercy and pity on someone for this mere sum when I've literally a waste, a whole life of damnation for you? So if you're Peter and you've been explained this now, you're still not totally sure what Jesus is talking about but overall, you're understanding, okay, have mercy, Jesus. Okay, I'm trying to piece this together. Peter was a slow learner, but he was getting it slowly. We have the benefit of the whole Bible. And we know what happens past chapter 18, don't we? Jesus died. So now looking back, Jesus is essentially saying to Peter, and Peter 100% recognizes this in the book of Acts. You can tell Peter knows what's happened now and what's going on behind the scenes in view of Jesus's mercy, in view of the sacrifice Jesus gave for you and me, we could never repay him for our sins. We could never earn our salvation. Jesus chose to say, I wipe your ledger clean. It's done. Well, no, Jesus, I'll make it up to you. I'll earn it. I'll work harder. I'll attend church every Sunday. Done. You don't need to. If you've accepted my sacrifice on the cross, if you said, I recognize you died for my sins and there's no way I can be saved without you, done. My name is stamped. You are sealed, you're saved. But then we turn around and someone hurts us. Unfortunately, you're that guy, I'm that guy choking out someone for 20 bucks, throwing them in jail, Lamech, trying to make them pay for it because it feels good to win. Feels good to be angry. That's what Jesus said to Peter. And Peter, thankfully, it clicked. When Jesus died on the cross and he was, guess who betrayed Jesus three times before the rooster crowed? It was Peter. And then on the cross and, all, and, and past that, Jesus redeems And when he come, rises from the dead and Jesus comes and makes his appearance to the disciples later. Just as three times Peter denied Jesus' existence, three times Jesus asked, do you love me, do you love me? Do you love? Three times, I'm purposely saying redeemed and not just over-encompassing redeemed. I'm gonna specifically address your sin and say, it's good, we're all good, Peter, you and me. Peter understood that now. So I'm here with my father, my dad. He's hurt me. Now, did some light from heaven say, Russell, just as I've forgiven you, you should be, no. Did not happen. I got married to Pola, my dad did my wedding, still like this. I, was, I would smile to his face, but behind the scenes I wouldn't trust my dad as far as I, I could throw him. I know it sounds harsh, it's true. Because ultimately, what was, I, what was my story? Dad doesn't care. So it didn't matter how good or bad I was, I didn't think my dad cared. But thankfully, guess what I decided to do? Thankfully my wife is a very patient woman. I don't have time to go into the story, guys, but there was a a small event. My dad and I were gonna go out for coffee. I was super excited, but also very nervous because I didn't trust my dad. And something came up where my dad had to cancel plans. I'm a grown man now at this point. I have a son, and my dad had to cancel. I yelled at him on the phone, slammed the phone down, hid myself in my walk-in closet, and cried in a corner. A grown man. That's the power of bitterness. To my knees I was brought in pain. My dad is an imperfect human being and he wasn't doing anything mean. But something happened thankfully where my wife said, give him a try and change the narrative. So just as as if upon layer, upon layer, upon layer, bitterness has been bestowed, it is an ongoing process. I wish to clarify that. You have to remove the layers. It is not an instantaneous feeling of goodness. Lyndon, I forgive you. We're all good, right? Yes. The overarching principle is you've removed bitterness from the equation, you've you've let them off the hook, but now you have to work together to restore trust. Trust and forgiveness are different. Forgiveness should be unconditional. Trust does need to be rebuilt. That is a reality. So, what I want us to all focus on this morning, three things. I'm not typically a points guy, but just from this story, from Jesus' parable, and I, I feel like this is something that each one of us just needs to receive really quick. Number one, so much grace has been extended to me, extended to you. How can I not extend that grace to others who are just as imperfect as I am? You see, I decided to realize that I had hurt my dad just as much as he hurt me. I was vengeful. I wanted to make him suffer. And I realized that. Thank God, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I realized that I just wanted to harm my dad. I was no better than my father was. So when my dad accidentally hurt me, the narrative changed. Instead of he doesn't care, it's he's trying to care. And I should try too. Try. Our relationship obviously has gotten better. We are still in pain. I'm gonna be very, very transparent with you. We are still in pain. I think too often church is like, and I'm better. Forgiveness is good, be like me. Nope. (laughs) There are still moments where I'm like, ooh, that hurt. But I don't think he meant that. You see, the whole gift exchange thing, everybody, is bitterness is probably one of the fastest presented gifts you're ever gonna receive. In a moment's notice, the gift of bitterness is handed before you and you have a choice. The unfortunate thing is if you don't make the conscious decision to exchange it for understanding, exchange it for forgiveness, I'm afraid the people that give the gift of bitterness are very good at their job and that box will be stacked upon. So whenever my dad hurts me, I have a decision every single time. This is not years past. Yes, the breakthrough has happened. I've forgiven my father by the grace of God, but years now, Even in moments, I'm like, oh, what story? Oh, shoot, that was really hurtful. I'm no better than my dad. He is imperfect as I am. And if by the infinity amount of grace and forgiveness Jesus is willing to give me, how could I not forgive my father? Do you see, it's not about winning because I'm gonna tell you right now, you're not gonna win all the time. You're not gonna have the happy-go-lucky Hallmark movie where you hug at the end. Guess what? You might never talk to that person ever again, ever. But forgiveness is not about directly winning and being like, we're all good, good feelies, good feelies. No, you owe it to them, ironically, to forgive. You owe it to the person. Well, Russ, that's guilt. No, that's not, that's freedom. Bitterness is saying, you owe me, And until it's paid to my satisfaction, I hold you accountable. So much grace has been extended to me. How can I not extend that grace to others who are just as imperfect as I am? Who has never sinned before? Raise your hand, better not. (laughs) Number two, it is an ongoing process of reconciliation and forgiveness will continue to be used. I just touched on that. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to make yourself vulnerable to be hurt. If that person is abusive and hurtful, they're imperfect and they're on their own journey. Sometimes God will ask you to be a part of it. Sometimes God will say, you don't have to be. You're not Jesus Christ, you can't save people. Sometimes God will ask you to be in that person's life as a light to them, but that doesn't mean you have to be hurt over and over again. Forgiveness should be unconditional. Trust has to be earned. So it doesn't mean put yourself back in an abusive situation, that's not what I'm saying but forgiveness will often be used. Get ready to have that present ready to go. As soon as someone slaps you in the hands with bitterness, you slap it right back with forgiveness. It's gonna be an ongoing boxing match for the rest of your life. Number three, it feels like you're losing, but you're actually winning. I just said it. We love to win. That is why revenge and bitterness, Lamech, he must've felt so proud with Ada and Zillah. Wow, I remembered their names just because that's their names. He's boasting around saying, if you hurt me, dead. If you offend me, dead. Easy for Lamech. He took the easy way out. It is easy to be angry. It is not easy to be like, oh man, I was destined for hell and I could never save myself. But in view of God's mercy and forgiveness, I was able to forgive my dad. That's called grace. Grace. Brant Hansen. if you've not read this book and you're struggling with bitterness and forgiveness, read from this author. He's fantastic, radio DJ, great author. He wrote the book, Unoffendable. And he spends the first few chapters defining how unoffendable does not mean being a pushover, but it means staving off the ability to be justified in being offended. He says two quotes. I wanted to harp on this and we're gonna end here. Whenever there's an injury, this is Brant Hansen talking in his book, Unoffendable, read it. Whenever there's an injury to a relationship, a hurt, a broken heart, or even a broken thing, it's not sometimes a person, it's life. It could be you're bitter at life. And you are willing to forgive. You are saying, I got this. I'm willing to pick up the bill for this. You don't owe me anything. This of course is precisely what God has done for us. And one last quote from Brand Hansen. Grace isn't for the deserving. Thank God we are all undeserving. Thus, we are all eligible for grace. Forgiving means surrendering your claim to resentment. Surrendering, sur- surrendering, giving it up. You can't resent them. No resentment or harshness here and letting go of anger. Grace isn't for the deserving. Don't keep the gift of bitterness this morning. If already the Holy Spirit is speaking to something, again, don't discount it. If it's something small, deal with it. If it's something huge, begin the process of dealing with it. That mountain's not gonna go away, but that doesn't mean you have to hold on forgiveness any longer. Bitterness doesn't have to stay. The hurt and pain will remain. I'm not gonna lie to you. It hurts. But the bitterness can be swapped out for forgiveness. Guess what happens now? Does it hurt when my dad occasionally lets me down? You bet it does. That's still a soft spot. But am I more likely to love on my dad and deal with it or more likely to walk away? I'm more likely to go to him. Remember that proverb, seeks to cover an offense. I am seeking it out now with my dad. Hallelujah. If he offends me, I'm going to, him, saying, hey, I don't even think he meant to say this, but I'm just letting you know it's bugged me. I've had those phone calls, you guys, so often. Hey, this just happened. I don't think he meant it, but this is how I took it. Guess what my dad says? Because guess how awesome my dad is? Always quick to apologize, even if he's not in the wrong. Son, I am so sorry that I said it that way. Will you please forgive me? You're darn tootin', let's move on. It's a five-second conversation rather than years of bitterness. And again, have I at all said I'm perfect and we are perfect and we're the best relationship ever? No, it's a process. So action step. I love that my dad started doing this and we're gonna keep it simple for you guys too. And again, I'm in this audience, okay? I'm preaching to myself this morning. So if you're like, well, Russell's easy for him to say, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm raising three young children and I ain't perfect and I'm dealing with daddy issues. You tell me what kind of pressure that's in, okay? <laughs> Action steps, there's two. Just, just keep it simple this morning. Who's one person you can think of that you've withheld their gift of forgiveness for? See, the gift exchange isn't just for you, it's for others. Who's one person? One person that you've been trying to give the gift of bitterness, they, they deserve because we're undeserving a gift of forgiveness. Number two, how can you take just a step? I'm not expecting you to reignite your relationship with your long lost great aunt so-and-so, but I am asking you to take a deliberate action to release forgiveness. It will set you free. We're gonna close with this. Ephesians 40, or sorry, 40. Ephesians uh, chapter four, 30 to 32 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He covers everything. Let it go. No frozen here guys just let it go. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as in God Christ forgave you.